Welcome to the Open Bible Podcast, a resource of Church of the Open Bible in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. In this episode, we are continuing our conversation with Pastor Josiah Boyd of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel in Ontario about the Kingdom of God. So we've kind of talked about this already, but really quickly, what role does the Lord Jesus play then in the Kingdom of God? Yeah, pretty important role, I would have to say. You know, he's, he is the coming king. Um, when he mm-hmm. comes on the scene, for example, in Matthew, Matthew is such a fascinating book. In fact, we just started going through this as a church family recently. When you understand that for a first century Jew, understanding what they were expecting when the king came, they saw the king and the kingdom as inseparable. That when the king came, so came the kingdom. Love and marriage, horse and carriage, king, kingdom inseparable. And so when this Messiah comes and he proves, he authenticates himself through miracles, fulfilling prophecies, and then he dies on the cross, raises from the dead and ascends, a believing Jew would say, where's the kingdom? We had the king, where's the kingdom, right? That doesn't make sense. Those two things have to be together. And so Matthew picks up his pen and he writes to them and he says, listen, I want to prove to you that you did have the right king, You did have the right king. Jesus is the king. But I want to show you what happened, what is happening, and what will happen to the kingdom that should be with him. And that's the whole purpose of Matthew. And so Matthew records Jesus coming on the scene, authenticated as the king. That's one of his main goals is to prove that this is the promised king. And then he describes how Jesus comes to Israel saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand how Israel rejects the king, come to Matthew 12, and they say, no, we don't want you. In fact, we think you're doing work uh, by the power of Beelzebub. We think you're doing work by the power of Satan. And that's where Jesus says the unpardonable sin, this will not be forgiven. And, and my read, we can uh, talk about this too. My reading of the text, my understanding of that is that unpardonable sin is not something that's even available today. That was yeah. first century Jew. They rejected the king who had come to offer Israel their kingdom. They rejected him. And then Matthew records Jesus turning his attention at Matthew 13 from Israel in the offer of this long-awaited kingdom to start preparing his disciples for what's going to come next instead. And he goes to the cross. He dies. He raised from the dead. And we've talked about that. Uh, and so Jesus, yeah, Jesus ascends back to the Father. And right now, he's serving not as the Davidic king. He is the Davidic king elect. He is the anointed one. He is coming one day to set up that king at a time only known to the father. But right now, as the book of Hebrews makes clear, he's serving as our high priest mediating for us. And he will one day come to fulfill uh, the kingdom prophecies and sit on the throne in Jerusalem of his father, David. And so that's the way that I see Jesus coming in and fulfilling the, the, the kingdom, um, that kingdom prophecy. Well, I don't know what you have to add to that. No, that's great. That's a great summary. I would just say, uh, what, what role, what is the importance of the cross and resurrection? Why was the cross necessary in order to bring about the final fulfillment of the covenants and the promises? Yeah, I've been talking too much. I'll kick it back to you. What was the purpose of the cross, Jay? <laughs> I'm asking you. I don't know. No. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Uh, I'll just, one part of it is, of course, at the cross, Jesus, well, before the cross, right? Jesus is meeting in the upper room with his disciples and he institutes the Lord's Supper. And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. So right away, we think back to Jeremiah 31. And really the new covenant is the key to all of the blessing, right? And really it's the key to fulfilling all of the the covenant promises. Because as you said, when Adam failed, we now as humanity with our sin nature are unable to fulfill our kingdom mandate of ruling righteously 
in God's presence, in obedience to him over this world. The cross was necessary in order to redeem a people, in order to bring about the forgiveness of sins so that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, reconciled forever with God, and thereby made ready to be able to uh, enter his coming kingdom and then also to uh, fulfill that mandate of ruling and reigning over so the, the cross was necessary. So it, it wasn't a plan B, right? When, when Jesus came, he knew Israel would reject him, but this was all necessary for the cross. The cross, as you can say, in a sense, procured the kingdom. It made it possible. And he, as the last Adam, perfectly fulfilled what Adam failed to do, as you mentioned before. And now through faith in him, because of the cross and resurrection, we're united to him and one day we'll reign with him right? When we are perfected in glory in his, in his kingdom. So the cross and resurrection were absolutely necessary. And of course, his resurrection is the first fruits of our resurrection so that we will be resurrected one day too, glorified and actually live with perfect glorified real bodies, not floating around the clouds and ethereal spirits forever, but on this earth, right? Which we'll get to a little bit later. Is that answer? that answer? Why do I answer any questions? You should just answer them all. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. You're <laughs> all right. Uh, a couple more, a couple more. Sure. Don't, don't bounce these back right away. I'm curious to what you think. Uh, what is the church's relationship then to the kingdom of God? So we know, you mentioned Matthew 13, all of a sudden Jesus' teaching changes and sometimes it's called the mysteries of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And he starts talking about this interim period before the kingdom is restored. It's a period that was not prophesied in the Old Testament. The New Testament says that there's this mystery time and that mystery is the church, right? So that's the time that we're living in right now. And I don't want to give away too much before you answer, but what is then the relationship of the church of the body of Christ today to that coming kingdom? Yeah. First, I would say very clearly that the church is not the kingdom. So that'd be the first way it's related to the kingdom is that it is not the kingdom. I think the Bible teaches that we are in what might be called a parenthetical age. So if you see God's plan of redemption on this linear timeline with Israel's rejection of their promised King and his kingdom, open parenthesis, the church begins in Acts chapter two and starts and we'll close parenthesis at the catching up of the church. And we'll get to that a little bit later, probably. But right now we are in this parenthetical age. Again, it's not a plan B, that's, a, that's not what we want to communicate. It's not a plan B, but it is parenthetical to the kingdom program that God, uh, that God has in place and will pick up again when we are taken out. But we are not the kingdom. We are something different. We are what you described, what Paul says is the mystery, something that was not previously disclosed. It's not a mystery as so we're trying to figure it out. It's now God has revealed. And Paul, you can just sense his humility and burden that it was him that got to reveal this mystery to the world, this idea of the, the church into this parenthetical uh, um, age that we're in now. Yeah, and so, for example, in uh, Ephesians 3, 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through, through the gospel. Mystery doesn't mean someone something mysterious. The word means something that was not, a truth that was not revealed before in the mm-hmm. Old Testament. The Old Testament prophetic kingdom program timeline, right, did not have this period. Of course, it was God's plan all along, mm-hmm. but it was only revealed in the New Testament. And like you said, we are not the kingdom. So what is our connection with the kingdom then? as the church today? 
Well, we're making eventual kingdom subjects, kingdom inhabitants, right? As we are grafted in and as uh, when he comes back and establishes his kingdom, we are going to reign with him as grafted in t- uh, to, to Israel. But and so as we evangelize, it's not we are, and we'll get to this as well, misuses of the kingdom language, but we are basically inviting people into, be, into eventual subjection of the king. Yeah. I think that's what Paul's talking about in Colossians 1, 13 to 14. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's talking about, uh, it's the same way really of talking about us being citizens of heaven, right? We're citizens of the kingdom. It's future, Mm -hmm. right? But we live uh, as citizens of a coming kingdom. Oftentimes in the New Testament, the authors will use uh, that present tense to talk about a future mm-hmm. reality. That's right. To communicate certainty. Like if you invited me out there next year, I'd say I'm there, you know, present tense. I'm there. Well, that's to communicate. Absolutely. I will be there in the future. And oftentimes the biblical authors do that as well. They'll say something present tense to indicate the future certainty of that reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I mean, we just even think of the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, we're recognizing again, there's this, uh, I mean, at that time, that was pre-church age, but still, when we pray that at any time, that's what we're talking about, this coming kingdom. That's another example of a, a passage that is just spiritualized all yeah. the time, right? You, yeah. you hear expositions of, of it, and what does yeah, it mean when, s- I pray, when I pray thy kingdom come? It means, <laughs> Lord, reign in my heart. Yeah. Really? Like, yeah. does the and context bear that out at all? It comes back to one of the first questions we, we talked about. This unders- Why is it important to understand this biblical kingdom um, idea? And that's a great example, that passage, how we understand even that prayer when he's teaching his disciples to pray. Are we saying, Lord, like you said, reign in my heart increasingly now? Is that what I'm praying? Or am I praying, let me kingdomize this world, like come and reign increasingly so in Swift Current in Oakville so that it becomes more like your, is that what we're praying? Or are we praying, Jesus, bring your kingdom, split the skies and bring your kingdom now. We ache for it. Is that what we're praying? Those are three very different prayers. Which one was Jesus calling us to pray? That's the question. Exactly. And if it was the first two, it's pretty redundant because the next, the next part of the prayer is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right. So yeah, agreed. So the kingdom is not, the church is not the kingdom. The church is also not Israel. Mm -hmm. And again, that's a whole nother discussion we can have, but we want to make sure that that's clear too. So when we're thinking about these promises and covenants in the old Testament, though the church takes part in part of those, it takes part of the blessing to the nations that Abraham talked about that there are still some of those kingdom promises that are specific to Israel of them being in their land, etc. So that's another thing just to consider, but uh, we won't go down that rabbit trail. Uh, just a few more questions here so we can keep our listeners attention. Uh, how does God's kingdom program then conclude in the biblical story. We've seen how it's begun. We saw how it's traced to the Old Testament, Jesus, uh, how Jesus' involvement in it, what his place was, how the church is connected to the kingdom. Okay, how does it end? Well, as I mentioned before, there will come a time when the church will be removed. The Holy Spirit has come in Acts 2, it's indwelled us, but there will come a time when the church is removed suddenly because God has some unfinished business with Israel. He's going to deal with them, uh, those with whom, as you said, he made covenants. And he is going to uh, bring about some, inc- some incredible suffering on the world at that time. And through that suffering, many of those 
covenant people, many of those um, Jewish people will turn back to the Lord in droves. And then when that time of suffering ends, Christ will come with believers, with those who are with him and set up his earthly millennial kingdom and reign for a thousand years. That's what millennial means, reign for a thousand years. And then at the end of that thousand years, Satan will be released for one final brouhaha. He'll be defeated finally, totally, and then into eternity we go. And um, again, with him, with Christ sitting on his throne in Jerusalem and reigning as that perfect vice regent that Adam failed to be. God reigning on earth over his creation through a mediator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Revelation 20, right? Uh, the millennial kingdom. What is that going to look like? Well, verse six, the, the middle end of verse six uh, really sums it up. Over such, the second death has no power, but they, that's believers, will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years, reigning on the earth with Jesus Christ in a thousand years with glorified bodies. Right before that, I talked about the first resurrection. We will be resurrected believers at that time. And that will be the church, and we will be in our different nations and cultures and languages, just like it was meant to be. All that's not stripped away from some homogenous spiritualization, um, but rather it will be just the redemption of all of those good things. And Israel will be in their land, just as we will be in ours, reigning with them and Jesus from the throne. And then, of course, like you said, then there's the new heavens and new earth where the kingdom uh, moves into that forever stage as well. And what we read is essentially what we saw in Genesis one over only it's fulfilled forever, right? It says, behold, the dwelling, this is a uh, revelation 21. Uh, well, really one on, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the Holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Hmm. Sounds just like Genesis one, right? And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And it just goes on to describe what that's going to look like in the new Jerusalem. And it's just this glorious, mm-hmm. eternal, everlasting kingdom on a new earth. And then chapter 22, verse three, I love this as well. He says, and there will no longer be any curse. Hmm. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his bond servants will serve him. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if it's the day and age we're living in, and you and I have commiserated about what it's like to live in the time of COVID and all this, but I am growing in my aching for this time to come. I cannot wait, legitimately. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't say, come Lord Jesus, like, may this be the reality. Eat perhaps today, perhaps today this starts to happen. Because as we look around the world, we see so much frustration and unrest and pain and suffering and loneliness and depression and on and on we go. And it's getting closer and closer to home for many of us. We're actually feeling, um, some of us haven't before, but now we're starting to feel the pinch of sin and the curse in our lives like we haven't before. May God's people ache increasingly for this kingdom to come. May we long for it like crazy. And may, like Peter, he pairs those two things. He says, this hope that we have in this future, this idea that you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good is foreign to scripture. Peter marries those two and he says, you can be so heavenly minded so that you are earthly good. He says, with your mind locked on that promise, this kingdom to come, you are liberated to live for him now. 
And it's only with that, that hope in the forefront of our mind so palpable, so real for us that we are freed to live recklessly for him. And you know, I, I just pray that um, for the church at large, you know, the church across Canada, Swift Current, Oakville, wherever, that through these difficult months, that God would strip away our self-dependence, our love of this world. He would just rip it from us so that we can look ahead to what is to come and long for it and say with all sincerity, come Lord Jesus, come. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. And that's one of the reasons that thinking and studying on things of the kingdom is so practical for us today because we know what's coming. The same God that promised salvation by grace through faith is the same God that promised there is coming an earthly future kingdom. And so as much as we believe in our salvation and we should be assured of it, we can believe in this future kingdom that we will be inhabitants of it. We will be bond servants serving our King for eternity in a sinless, curseless world. And I cannot wait. Amen. Way to preach it. <laughs> That's good. That's so good. Um, and I think that that actually, everything you just said, really fits into this, this last question, just about um, what are some unbiblical ways then that Christians do talk about God's kingdom today? So, so we've gone through uh, the, the biblical revelation mm -hmm. of the kingdom, and you've just so wonderfully hit that home with, with good application. Well, first of all, what, what are some maybe unbiblical ways that people are talking about the kingdom and why does it matter again? Yeah. I want to be careful too, that sometimes we, we speak accidentally, you know, mm -hmm. naively um, incorrect. So I, I think we've gotten into some bad habits. It's not so much maliciousness. It's more um, accidental or, or ignorance that kind of leads to these misuses of kingdom language. And so, you know, I was guilty of this for a long, long time before I actually studied what the text said, but sometimes we talk about, you know, doing kingdom work, you know, or, uh, but if we understand what the church's role is in the kingdom program, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I guess we could say, if we we're going to be charitable, that we're doing work that resembles that which will be characteristic in the kingdom. I'm not really sure, but we do kingdom work. We are maybe tasked with ushering in the kingdom or advancing the kingdom or building the kingdom or establishing kingdom outposts or whatever. Um, and, and that's not necessarily wrong or, or that's not necessarily harmful but it can distract us from doing what we're actually called to do. Like again, in Acts 1, where he says, it's not for you to know the times or place regarding the kingdom, but get busy. You have to be my witnesses mm -hmm. in all the world. And so sometimes if we get so distracted on building the kingdom or whatever we want to call it, it can distract us from being those faithful witnesses he's called us to be. Uh, sometimes, you know, we'll refer, like you said, about the kingdom is wherever Jesus lives and reigns and he's in our heart. You know, the kingdom is spiritual in our hearts. Well, again, I just think that that, that, softens the beauty of the actual kingdom. You know, when we, when we spiritualize it, we're undercutting the force of this future kingdom that we can anticipate. And so I just want to speak in a way that the Bible allows me to speak or calls me yeah. to speak. That's, I just want my, my speech to resemble that of what scripture, how scripture uses speech, especially when speaking of things so monumental and important as the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's good. I think you got at one thing is that we tend to, we can often have, it's become popular to use kingdom as an adjective, mm -hmm. kingdom, this kingdom, that, 
which again, we just don't see in scripture. We need to be careful. I don't think, like you said, anyone's intentionally doing that necessarily, but maybe just haven't thought through. But the problem with so much of that language, especially things like we're, we're establishing the kingdom, we're expanding the kingdom, we're building the kingdom, we're advancing the kingdom. All of that language, for one thing, I just really don't see that in scripture. But the other problem is, is it brings it all back to us. And this comes back to what you were preaching so well just a minute ago. Our hope is in a coming kingdom that's going to be established by the king. If our hope, our kingdom hope is something we're going to do, we're going to bring the kingdom. We are going to advance the kingdom. We are going to establish the kingdom. Well, that's hopeless. That, that doesn't give me any any sense of, of, of relief or joy in any sense. But if the kingdom is coming through the king, yeah. and that's an assured promise of God, then man, that gives me hope. And so I think that's one of the biggest reasons too why it's just so important because the focus then is on Jesus again, mm-hmm. not on us. And we need to understand too, I think sometimes we conflate gospel messages in the Bible. And so we, when we talk about gospel, we think about salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Praise the Lord, the gospel. That's what we are to propagate. That's what we're to use in evangelism. But when Christ comes on the scene in Matthew chapter four, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And sometimes we just read into that, what's the gospel? Was Mm -hmm. Jesus preaching salvation by grace through faith in himself, even though he hadn't died yet? No, he's preaching the good news that the kingdom is coming. And so again, in this parenthetical time, we are to preach the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. The gospel of the kingdom is still something we can hold to because we just said the gospel, the kingdom is coming, but we don't want to conflate those two things and confuse our role in this program. We want to do what we're called to do, be faithful to do it. And that is to be his witnesses. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. So just as we wrap things up, uh, what are some good resources you would recommend for people to learn more about the kingdom? Obviously, we have given quite a bit of information. Maybe there's some head scratching going on right now. Hopefully, we've wet people's appetites and they want to look into this more deeply. So what would be some resources, maybe some people who have done a bit better job than you and me of being uh, just giving clear exposition, explanation of these things? Yeah, that'd be a long list. I would say, and I don't mean this to sound trite, the Bible has got to be our number one resource. And here's what I mean by that. Like, I I really believe that the Bible was written to be understood, that God is the God of communication. He created communication and he's pretty good at it. And so when we read the Bible as it was given, Genesis through Revelation, and just take him at his word, what we're describing and talking about here, I think becomes very clear. It's when we import into the Bible all sorts of other theology and all this kind of stuff that distract from the message of the Bible, we get confused. And so I'd really just encourage readers, your number one resource when it comes to the kingdom of God is just go to Genesis and start reading and trace that through the scriptures. And you will come to understand this uh, beautiful picture of a biblical theology of the kingdom. And, and then these, some of the other resources that have impacted me are really just people who have done that who've gone mm, through right. the Bible and just trace this. And so if you find that a daunting task, maybe some of these will help. And they range in um, accessibility, I'll be honest. Some of these mm-hmm. things that have impacted me are, are weighty. They're not completely inaccessible, but they'll take some dedication. So uh, someone that's really impacted me most recently is an old book by a guy named George Peters. It's a three-volume set called The Theocratic Kingdom, something we've talked about on this uh, episode today. But it is, in a word, exhaustive. It is covering everything. It is a ton of stuff. So if you really want to get a handle on the, the, uh, the biblical theology of the kingdom, that would be a good place to go maybe if you're feeling really, uh, really ambitious, I guess. Uh, more accessible ones would be, uh, you mentioned McLean. 
uh, would be one, the greatness of the kingdom, which just is a biblical theology of the kingdom of God. A more updated version of McLean's work would be uh, Mike Vlocks uh, from the Master Seminary. Uh, he will reign forever, I think it's called. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's just basically a, a modernized version of McLean's also very excellent, a biblical theology of the kingdom. And that's, um, that's a book you and I read together, right? Yeah, that, one of that was, ones? that was groundbreaking for me in, in yeah. understanding um, this. It really, that wet my appetite for more study mm-hmm. in the kingdom was, was yeah. Vlock's work. I, I was waiting for that book for so many years yeah. because I'd read McLean and some mm-hmm. of these older guys and just waiting for an updated, uh, more accessible. It's, mm-hmm. it's a big book, but it's yeah. actually, it's, it's also big print. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Vlock writes in a very accessible way. I think yeah. that book would actually be uh, doable. It takes some time and commitment, but yeah, yeah, it'd be a good one. Another good one I found that is, is good, a good supplement to all those is one by Andy Woods called The Coming Kingdom. Uh, very readable. Uh, he just lays out this idea of a future kingdom. And, and then he takes texts that combat that and explains them how they actually fit into to his view. And then, as I mentioned, as a church, we're going through the Gospel of Matthew right now. And Matthew being this, this incredible book about the king and his kingdom, um, there's a book that is kind of a, a gloss commentary over the gospel of Matthew by Stan Toussaint uh, called mm-hmm. Behold the King. And to go through Matthew's gospel and just read along with him, how he explains the offer of the kingdom and all that kind of stuff has been very helpful as well. I'm sure there are many others. Those have, are, are constantly on my shelf that I reference often and, and how I think through these things. You literally uh, suggested all of the books I had on my list. So... <laughs> <laughs> Good choices for sure. It's almost like we talk once in a while, huh? Yeah, it's it's strange. Now, Stanley Toussaint, he's been hugely influential in the past 50 years or so, whatever. And he just went to be with the Lord a couple years ago. But he was actually one of your profs, an elder in your church in Dallas. And you ordained uh, me, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And so he, there's actually a video you can see online. If you just type in Stanley Toussaint, Kingdom of God, YouTube, I think it's from uh, GES. Grace Evangelical Society meeting, and he he goes about showing why the kingdom is future, and just does a stellar job. And he's got this little booklet that you cannot find anywhere. Anywhere. It is so frustrating, and uh, I'd love to get my hands on that because I think that would be so accessible Mm -hmm. for our people. But maybe somehow we'll get a hold of it someday. I don't Mm -hmm. know. But uh, yeah, those are great great suggestions. But I think that's where we'll end. I, I trust this discussion or hope this discussion has been helpful for you, our, our listeners, as we've made our way through the Bible's teaching on God's kingdom. Hopefully it's whet your appetite and you want to dig more into the word and see for yourself. Next week, Pastor Joe will take us to another topic related to Daniel, and we hope you'll join us again. But thanks, Josiah, for joining us today. My pleasure. So until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide with you now and forever. So long.